Welcome to Material Feels, a monthly podcast where we listen in on the intimate conversations between artists and their materials. Each episode, we spend time with people who connect with a specific material every day. Artists, educators, makers. This episode, we'll be traversing territory that may actually be familiar, sitting in on everyday spaces and visiting familiar places, but with fresh eyes and ears. But first, the housekeeping. Material Feels is written and produced by your host, me, Catherine Monahan. Each episode is accompanied by an original piece of music at the very end, a song created just for the show by my collaborator, Liz Delise. Subscribe to Material Feels with whatever podcast app you use on your phone. The show is also on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. For extra treats, follow the show on Instagram at Material Feels. And read the show notes at www.materialfeelspodcast.com. If you are enjoying the show, please review it on iTunes. I've gotten wonderful texts and emails from my listeners. Your voice sounds like butter. Dude, episode two. You were seriously like Ira Glass. Oh my God, you guys. It's doing wonders for my ego. Don't get me wrong. But if you leave that kind of feedback in the form of a review, it helps more people find the podcast and makes me feel good. Let's catch the feels for our next material. My name's Dominique Tutwiler based here in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Lived out here for about 15 years now, 16 years. Came out here for college and never left. I have been doing custom furniture and decor for the past four years or so. Dominique, or D, is a designer and furniture maker in San Francisco, California. They build custom furniture to order through their business, Oaksmith Furniture. We're standing in an enclosed courtyard outside of their apartment in the Richmond, a neighborhood of San Francisco. Various pieces of wood are stacked like building blocks on top of a large work table. Next to some power tools, Dee gives me a tour and then we head back to their living room where it's a bit quieter. I'm kind of a hoarder with the wood scraps for sure. But yeah, I'll use walnut, cherry, maple, um, and then sometimes some softwoods like cedar or, or redwood. Is that redwood right there? Yeah. 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 So I just got this uh, bunch of cedar and redwood the other day. Um, I'm going to start prototyping some uh, bud vases. And mm. cedar is really good um, in terms of like, like repelling water. Mm. Um, and it's like rock. I'm surrounded by handmade furniture. Three side tables that can nest together. A low coffee table that doubles or triples, I guess, as storage and a bench. Hanging shelves that house favorite books and gadgets. Dee refers to a lot of these items as prototypes. What brought you to wood specifically? I've always been really fascinated by the material itself, just because it is an organic material. You can really do like so much with, and it comes in, you know, different shades and different uh, textures. There's just a lot of variety between the different species, um, which is really interesting. Even between, you know, two boards of the same type of wood, 
You could have really different grain patterns, um, a lot of different details and, and coloring, uh, which is really interesting to me. What is the grain? Like, is that just the pattern that we see? or? Is yeah, so you'll see kind of like really thin, intricate lines on, on a piece of wood. That, that That's the grain uh, pattern. You know, s- certain types of wood will have like uh, like knots. It, it really varies between the different types. I never thought about like what that what those that means. Like, mm-hmm. Is it the tree like, growing extra hard for us? Yeah. Then, well, like well, essentially, like, if you think about like how a tree grows, um, there's like rings that get added every year. So then, basically, what you're seeing is a cross section of the, those rings, mm. um, and kind of a cross section of the, the the bark itself. When we start to think about wood, a lot comes up. Production, sourcing, ecological systems, the way different trees grow, the way we use land, who is using that land. But let's start with the way wood actually grows. Depending on the species, trees produce wood that varies in color and density. Different growth cycles and environmental factors impact the way different wood looks and feels. The most commonly used woods are divided into hardwoods and softwoods. Hardwoods are more dense, typically deciduous trees. The wood grows at a slower rate than softwoods, which tend to be conifers. And most of us know what grain is, that variegated pattern on a wooden shelf, chair, or table. Grain can be straight, parallel, spiraling, interlocked, wavy, or irregular. But the grain is more than a pretty pattern. It's actually a map. There are so many tutorials about how to read wood grain, like it is some cryptic message or map. And it kind of is. The grain is the orientation of wood cell fiber that creates something called the figure. The figure reflects the rhythm of the seasons, how fast a tree grows in the spring, if it was under stress, if there was fungus or bugs or anything different going on year to year. The grain is a reflection of a conversation between the environment and the tree. When the grain is close together, it is tight. When it is farther apart, it is coarse. The tighter the grain is, the slower the tree grows. The slower the tree grows, the stronger the material is. always made things like what brought you specifically to building yeah um I've been making things for as long as I can remember even when I was like very little I would get you know toys for Christmas and then if there was something that I wanted but my mom couldn't afford I would try to figure out a way like either how to make it or you know kind of build something similar Mm -hmm. come up with like my own idea remember one year I got like two new Barbies, but I didn't, I want like this huge accessory set for them. And I was like, actually, I'll just like make my own like Barbie accessories. So like I would save, you know, old like cereal boxes and things around the house to like actually like make stuff with. And usually I was just using like a pair of scissors, some scotch tape, some glue, really simple and just make whatever. So yeah, so I've, I've always made things with my hands, just not always with, with wood in particular. What, did you like take a specific woodworking class and fall in love or what was your entry point? My first job while I was in 
art school was at a hardware store, cool hardware in the city. And that's where I kind of picked up just general construction knowledge, how to use a table saw, how to use a miter saw, how to use power tools in general. I was there for about five years. My last three years there, I had actually started building like custom props for the, the front window displays. So that, and that's kind of how I like got into like building like large scale pieces, you know, just kind of took it from there. I, I learned a lot, um, kind, kind of building things for the store. I remember one time we did this one display where it was kind of tried to like recreate the, the Louvre kind of. So we built these really large fine art frames out of just like, like molding mm. and like spray paint them and everything. Remember how Matthew in episode one took a clay class on a whim? Or how Danielle from episode two just happened to walk into that weaving shop in Argentina? Dee's meet cute with wood was not planned. They haven't always known they were going to make furniture. Instead, they discovered wood nestled in an opportunity. It was something they just kind of picked up. Once they got in the flow of window displays and realized wood was a material they really enjoyed working with, how did they make that leap to becoming a full-time maker and entrepreneur. The next step, um, well, from from there, I kind of got more into visual merchandising and product development. I did product development for Crate and Barrel for a few years, Our House Furniture, Restoration Hardware. That's kind of where I really got into, like, interior design in general and, and furniture design from there. And then I could kind of see what sort of things were being mass produced and kind of out in the market. I was realizing how hard it is to kind of find pieces that A, like you love, B, that are like in your price point, and C, that actually fit in your space. So it's very hard to like find something that meets all of all those um, requirements. And so I started thinking about custom furniture and like kind of what that entails or design a piece that's like completely what I want. It just got really frustrating to kind of, you know, shop at all, all these retailers and, and not find anything. And so I figured, you know, I, I can work with my hands. I, I know how to, how to make things to a certain extent. I'm sure there's other makers out there that are doing the same thing. Um, what can I learn from them? Just watching a lot of like YouTube videos, of people like um, kind of make things and just going from there. What keeps you doing this? I really want to make custom furniture accessible to as many people as possible. And I know that I can serve a very like specific group of people here in the Bay Area who I'm sure like have this have had the same challenges with having a, a an apartment here um, and just not being able to find that perfect piece. I really just want to kind of make that an option for everyone and just kind of yeah create for those for those people and keep solving those those problems that we all have with living in a cramped city <laughs> and very unaffordable yeah I mean essentially all you have is either Ikea which is great for the price point not so great for something that's actually going to last you a long time pretty much you know you buy a piece for a couple months maybe a year and you have to replace it or you can go on the opposite end of the spectrum with like restoration hardware, mm. you know, and spend a ton of money on a piece. It may not fit because a lot of what they do are large scale pieces for really large homes. Um, and that's kind of their their client that they're serving. Um, and so there's no one that is kind of in the middle of that creating pieces 
using high quality materials, but also really working within different types of budgets, which is important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are like going to be family heirlooms. Right. I think mm-hmm. that's so cool. They're going to last lifetime after lifetime. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of folks who don't have that privilege and luxury of having heirlooms in their family. Right. So you're like populating people's homes. With exactly. Them. That's awesome. Yeah. And so I try to be as, as flexible as I can with every client, talking to to clients and kind of getting a sense of their their style and kind of kind of tailor the project to them, the overall look that they're going for mm. um, and kind of what's important to them, what what isn't. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting kind of like making that like initial contact and having that conversation and really getting a sense of, of what they're trying to achieve. I have been so focused on the physicality of the materials and the sacred relationship between the maker and the material. I hadn't thought out the additional relationships that come into play when the maker is creating for a specific person with purpose in mind. Talking to Dee, I'm noticing that not only is there this relationship between the wood and the woodworker, there is also this thread of communication between the maker and the person they're making something for, helping people invest in their spaces. It is not just about wood and forests and growth and geometry. It's also about home, access, stability. You know, I'll get people that come up and they're like, oh my God, I I love your your pieces, your your work's beautiful. I just, I don't have the right home for it right now. So it's, it's, it's this weird thing where there's like this ideal home that people have in their heads before they'll even consider custom furniture, which is very interesting to me because I feel like no matter where you're living, you know, that that's an opportunity to like actually have something custom made for you for, for, for that space. It's people kind of waiting to like have something custom made for them until they have like this picturesque home in their head. Um, Too much Instagram. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that kind of like, got me thinking for this year, you know, one thing I really want to focus on are, are like small spaces. We all live here like in the Bay Area. There's a lot of tiny studio apartments and and like lofts and everything. Being able to like make pieces with that in mind is, is really inspiring. Yeah, it's cool to like, not only are you customizing the piece to like an aesthetic, but you're customizing it to like an environment right. of city living and, and sort of Bay Area. And movability too, you know, like mm-hmm. people are being sort of moved around. So being able to move your stuff. Like yeah, <laughs> right. And and have that piece be really functional as well. So, you know, if, if you have a small space, every new piece you buy is kind of taking up space in your home so that it has to be be worth that space that it's taking up. And mm-hmm. ideally serve at least two or three functions if it can. Bay Area listeners, I think you get it. You are likely living it. Rent is really expensive in the Bay Area, and the capitalistic systems in place push people out. This is a system that disregards the fact that housing is a human right. Then there's this abstract concept of home and the looming feeling of impermanence, either because people face rent increases or evictions, or they wonder if they might move away from their community for a more affordable life. 
This isn't a new concept, nor is it specific to the San Francisco Bay Area. But with a particularly intense wealth inequality, it is a lot more palpable here. In addition to the stress of living in a place where you might have to move, the idea of home might be made tangible by furniture that can last lifetimes. And this is a topic shaped by history. We all have something passed down in our family, a recipe, a story, a way of styling our hair, or a remedy for a headache. And some of us have the luxury, the privilege really, of special objects that have been passed down, family heirlooms, furniture, property. Some of us don't. And that is why it's so important that makers are taking it into their own hands and making custom, beautiful, functional objects, objects that make sense in our lives, that make our lives easier and more meaningful. Uh, and I noticed that you name them in a certain way. Like I recognize all these mm -hmm. names. How do you pick a name for it? Yeah. Um, so all of the names I use are either neighborhoods or street names in Oakland. And Oakland is where I grew up for most of my life. I think it's a way to kind of create this cohesive collection of everything that I've made so far and kind of tie everything together as like a, a nod mm, to nice. that. Yeah. Nod to place. Yeah. Well, yeah, like the Rockridge recliner, like as mm -hmm. I started thinking about Rockridge and then like the Laney frames and it reminded me of all those places. And I thought about the people who live there who might have these things in their home. Right. Like reminded me of the community. I asked Dominique my favorite question. Does wood have a personality? With with maple, for example, maple is very dense. And so it's actually probably one of the toughest woods to work with in terms of shaping and sanding and getting it to do what you want. It's it's tough to cut through. Um, like if you're cutting through it, your your blade will kind of start to smoke, get overheated. When you go to sand something smooth, it you're, you're standing for a few hours. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's not flexible to work with. Whereas if you're working with something softer, like, like a walnut is actually pretty soft. It's still classified as a hardwood, but it's probably one of the easier ones to work with in terms of like sanding and, and cutting. With curly maple in particular, that'll have some really interesting uh, tones and really like interesting patterns in the grain. These kind of like grayish veins in the wood, um, sometimes like a greenish color. Sometimes you'll even see like little tiny little holes of like certain insects that have lived in the tree. You'll, you'll kind of see where they like kind of burrowed and, and nested. When you're working out there and like you're getting in the zone, uh, what kind of things are going through your mind? The number one thing that goes to our mind is just accuracy. Um, that's kind of the, the challenge with, with woodworking and, and, and working with, with your hands is there's a lot of room for like human error and not getting things quite perfectly. So it's a lot of measuring things three and four times before you cut something. Double checking like where you're gonna make a cut double checking like how certain boards are lined up before you like glue them together and sometimes making a cut you know five or six times before you get it right. So it sounds like there's not room to like kind of be fully absorbed like you always have to be super focused. Yeah you have to be really really focused on on what you're doing. 
and be really strategic with the order in which you do things. So you don't want to kind of work yourself into a corner that you can't get out of. So you want to kind of really stop and think about the order of operations. Like I'm going to cut these pieces before I cut, cut this piece because I need to actually double check this measurement once this is in place. It's a lot of planning that you have to do. Do you like that process? Yeah. Yeah, I actually like being really like meticulous when it comes to that and being like really like scientific about how I approach things. It's like you're going to make mistakes. That's going to be inevitable. But you want to make mistakes that you can fix down the line in, in some way versus like making one that you can't retract and, and go back from. I began to sense this focus, even in the way Dee chose their words during our interview carefully placed, measured, weighted, building each thought as if planned. I'm used to watercoloring clay where I can pretty much mess up all I want and get lost in the feel of the material. I also don't make things for people. I just explore and play. I'm not thinking about the finished product and often the finished product doesn't really have a, a purpose. With weaving, you can unravel and backtrack. With clay, you can smush up and essentially recycle it if it goes too off kilter. Woodworking, you make a cut and it's done. What's the, what do you, what's the most like rewarding part of the process for you? Probably the most rewarding thing is actually just seeing the com completed piece, kind of seeing like an idea that I had in my head, actually like bring it to life. I'm actually very impatient when I'm building something. Mm -hmm. Like once I start, I'm like, okay, I want this to be done. I want to see it done. And it's almost like the actual process. I like tend to like rush through it because I just want to get to the end and, and be done <laughs> and move on to the next thing. <laughs> well, it's interesting because like there's the process of making it, but then there's also the process of using it and living with it. Yeah, I would say definitely like, finally getting to use it for your space and, and having it be like a useful part of your home is probably the most rewarding part because usually when I'm designing, I'm trying to solve a problem. So whether it's like, okay, you know, we need storage in this corner. Here's a thing that we're missing or that we need. And how can I build a piece that will serve that function? Um, so that's kind of how I, I'll usually approach um, new, new projects. Then there was this moment when Dee was showing me around their work area. There were all these different sized pieces of wood, different types of wood, they picked up each one. They ran their hands over the wood as we were talking. I half paid attention to the words we were saying because my focus was pulled to their fingertips, tracing the grain, the edges, gently picking up each piece and putting it back down in its rightful place. Later, in search of that magic sound, I wandered around the apartment I moved into six months ago. I am usually a pretty intense nester. I make myself at home pretty quickly. I've been unpacking into new living spaces since I was 13. I switch art out of frames. I repot my plants. I install shelves and curtain rods. I arrange things just so. Even when I'm staying in a hotel for one night, I will unpack everything. But last year, I went through a breakup that shook me. I threw out a lot of stuff. Items just felt safer in their boxes. During a search for new housing, I stayed in my brother's guest room, 
I slept in a friend's bed while he was in Japan. I lived in a converted living room for a couple months. And when I moved into my current place, I left cabinets and closets which I would have otherwise explored untouched. But on the hunt for that sound. The dining room table, which can nearly seat 17 if you're very comfortable with one another. The person who owns this house made it when he and his family lived here. I run my hands over the imperfections, the edges, the grain. The glossy, elegant piano in the living room. The space inside, reverberating. I went into my room and felt the edges of my grandfather's light box. It's a wooden box with a light bulb inside and an acrylic plastic top for tracing and designing and drafting. It's interesting to feel the dimension of things, to trace the grain, to trace the knots and the edges, and to feel the proportions as the person who made the object may have felt them as they made it. It's nice to do with your eyes closed, actually. I was not interested in caressing the Ikea furniture. When you go into like a forest, do you think about this kind of stuff? <laughs> Are you like, oh man, that's I'm like, oh, someday you're going to be an awesome side table. <laughs> or is it I can like, see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I, I kind of do think about kind of like where materials originate yeah and it's really interesting to kind of like go like out, out to nature and, and kind of see where something like the, the, the potential in in a tree or a stump or something i began to notice the presence of wood in my life more and more i wanted to go back to the beginning and take a walk in the woods it's just about nine o'clock on friday i haven't been alone nature in weeks. We are doing shelter in place in the Bay Area. Actually in California. No. I'm in Joaquin Miller Park in Oakland, California. The Palos Colorados trailhead is empty when I arrive. It's been raining for a few days, so the creek that the trail snakes along is in full force. I think it's really interesting that this particular material came to me came to us um, during quarantine because so much of it is about touch, the, the ripples of the green, the texture of the knots, the edges. Murmuring into my recorder as I walk along the trail, I begin looking at trees a little differently. There's this tension when you run your fingers over the wood because you might get a splinter. It's sort of like kinky, actually. Touch is more important than I ever could have realized. Little pieces of human touch add up. Hugs, shaking hands, sitting shoulder to shoulder, or just not worrying about getting too close. We are all being impacted by that collective loss. And becoming intimately acquainted with the surface of wood during this time, whether in tree form or in the form of exploring the furniture in my apartment, it was so comforting to me. Also, so much of furniture design and furniture making is about home. What pieces of wood have made their way into your home 
and become a part of your interior landscape. A landscape many of us are so much more aware of now that we are staying at home for most of the time. These materials are touching on so many different senses, actually, almost all the senses. It's a gift that the artist has, the craftsperson has. Such a gift that they give themselves, and when they share it, the process, they give that gift to other people. But it's all really lost when we just focus on the finished nightstand, the ceramic bowl, the woven blanket. What about all the musical accompaniments, the sounds that they make when they're making them, the textures and the smells? I think that's an important part of the story. It's an important part of every day. If you notice it, if you take time out, slow down. Wonder what materials are in your life that you're kind of coasting over. I don't want to say take for granted because it sounds like I'm blaming you. It's not your fault. How can we be honoring all the materials around us in concert with them when society has kept us so focused on the product. This episode is dedicated to the people who have made things with their hands for hundreds and hundreds of years. To the families who would have and should have used handmade items for generations but were interrupted unjustly by systems of power. To the makers, like Dee, who are recreating and embodying concepts of home. Concepts that allow us to be and feel more whole and connected. A practice that brings us a sense of belonging, encourages us to celebrate the joy of everyday moments, imbues memories to be passed forward. And to you, I hope you and your loved ones can settle into your space a bit more during this time in whatever way makes you feel more whole and connected. To learn more about Dominique and their business, Oaksmith Furniture, check out the show notes at www.materialfeelspodcast.com. Please review the show on iTunes and subscribe using whatever podcast app you use on your phone. We're also on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. The underscores in this episode include Witch, Into the Dunes, and Troubled by MSFX as well as Hero's Journey, Moody Keys, Clappy, First Swim, and Wombology by Liz DeLise. I'll see you next month for episode four, where we will be chatting with an Oakland-based alchemist, exploring a material that can bewitch your senses, evoke powerful memories, and just generally make you want to celebrate. Bye! The center of the tree is called the heart, and it's actually the least stable part of it. Oh my god, it's okay. See? Oh my god, that was horrifying. Whew. Oh my god. You'd think watching a bug's life last night would have taught me something. How can we get back to Same, only better.
just the same The same, the same, the same Just the same Only strong